This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Just uh, slowly trying to get it out of my system of just how good Erling Haaland is. I've watched him in the Manchester Derby this afternoon and being uh, amazed by him yet again. So, yeah, pretty good. Pretty uh, pretty decent when you've watched a football like that in action. Yeah, he's not too bad. He's no Illumin and Jai, but not he's, bad, a pretty, he's a pretty good footballer. I think it's unfair that he's now doing assists, as I've just said to you off, off air. Um, I think it's only right that he just shoots and runs. He shouldn't be allowed to pass with any quality as well. It's just a little bit unfair. He's only got 65 passing on FIFA, so I think that's a true barometer of where he should be at. Um, and it's just unfair if, if you allow him to play quality passes like he did for Foden second. Yeah, a bit good, isn't he? He's uh, rather special. But as you but, say, not a could he cut it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke? Don't know. Probably, as we'll come on to, because at the minute pretty much most people could because Stoke are garbage. Um, as always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. I think that's one of my best links in ever. Um, a big thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They also provide a discount on the RRP of all sum up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. We've got a busy podcast coming up, and we'll be discussing two managerial sackings, two managerial appointments, and plenty of action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start our roundup, George, with Hull City and their 2 0 defeat to Luton Town because a mere eight hours before kickoff at the KCOM Stadium, um, owner Ajun Ilijai decided to pull the trigger on Shot at Valencia's time in East Yorkshire. Um, five successive defeats for Hull going into the game at the weekend on Friday night. I think the main sort of takeaway from everyone's is not particularly about the decision, but more the timing of it. They've had a two-week break. There's been reports from the quite reliable Hull Daily Mail about, you know, they've had plenty of conversations during that period about his future. So for then the decision to come eight hours before kickoff to say that they weren't aligned on the vision to take the club forward when all the noises coming out of the Hull camp is that they have been discussing things and it looked like he was going to get a stay of execution. So for eight hours before kickoff, the decision to be made to, to to wield the axe, I think that that was more the surprise than the actual decision itself. As people who listen to the pod will know, I've not been a massive fan by of, of Adelaide City. I've just not been sold on him, really. I've not seen enough to suggest that he's capable of taking a team to challenge at the top end of the championship. And that is ultimately what Hull City are expecting, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly in my opinion when you look at the squad. But they did invest a fair bit over the summer and the obviously the 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 opposite side of goodness that you get in investment is the fact that comes the expectation and the pressure and Anfalad has not been able to live up to that. He's got the sack and um, I think the owner's got to take some responsibility as well for the appointment because it's not worked out. They sacked Grant McCann and I don't think they're in a particularly better spot than they were when he left or they would have been if he'd had that sort of budget to play within this summer. It's transfer window, so it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But for me, not a bad decision to particularly sack him, albeit the timing very odd. 
Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I was, you know, not sort of shocked when I saw the news, but like you said, it was the, the time of it. I saw it about half past 11 on, on Thursday mo- uh, Friday morning. Um, and then obviously they got the game that evening against Luton. So it was less than 12 hours before the match. And obviously the statement came out confirming his departure. And like you say, very, very odd considering we'd come out of the international break and the day of the season resuming, they pulled the trigger. Very strange timing. You would have thought, you know, thinking logically in football, I know it doesn't happen very often in this sport, but you would have thought... Uh, after that's, that, where, after, that's where you've gone wrong. Exactly. Um, you would have thought after that 3-0 defeat, <coughs> excuse me, to Swansea, um, they, they would have got the pulled the trigger there and then. Obviously, that was a, a fourth defeat in a row at Swansea. They'd gone three games without a goal. It seemed like the ideal opportunity, two-week break, chance for a new manager to come in fairly quickly, perhaps, and uh, get to work on the training ground, but they left it till the very last minute. Uh, obviously, I've a like you said, he, he didn't really justify his appointment, truth be told. Decent-ish start to the season. I mean, they were they were top of the league after the first three games. But as we always say, that stage of the season, things are settling down. You can't really get a clear picture that early on. But they had a decent-ish start, to be fair. I mean, when you look back, they beat Norwich. They got a respectable point at Burnley. It was a good start. And obviously, it quickly unravelled once they, once they lost to, to QPR at the end of August. And they've not won since. But like you said, there was a lot of money spent in the summer. But was it, in my opinion, was it spent wisely? I don't think so. I think there was a lot of similarities in the players they recruited. Perhaps too many in certain positions. Obviously, a lot of foreign imports. Time to adjust to the league is needed. It was a very um, scattergun summer recruitment, was. wasn't it? Because it I think if you, just to, to build on the point you're making there, you look at central midfield, for example. They signed Jean-Michel Serry. Player clearly on big wages, big reputation. Didn't wasn't amazing at, for Fulham. He, he started very well the season with Fulham last year, but then soon dropped out the team as Kearney and other players came fit. Chalobah Reed were, were ahead of him, and then they also signed Ryan Woods, who a lot less expensive. But do they not do the same job in central midfield? Very similar. Frank, just as one players. example, very much so. So yeah, I do. I do think you know you've got to look at. The, the owner and the recruitment department, things like whoever signs off the deals at Hull, I don't know the ins and outs of who has major control over transfers and incomings, but there was a lot of similarities in, the, in what they did. So I think at that point, it is a collective failure what they've, what they've experienced so far this season. But at the end of the day, the manager is responsible for, for coaching the players and getting them ready and, and delivering the tactics. At the same time, the players are going to take some responsibility. They're the ones out on the pitch. They're the ones who have produced two of the most comical own goals we've seen in recent times in the last two matches. At the end of the day, the manager isn't the one saying, go out and do that, lads. So, you know, the players have got to take some responsibility. And at the end of the day, I think it's four games now they've gone just without scoring a goal. So it's clear that there's a big issue there. But like you said, at the time, all the months ago, Grant McCann, it was a harsh sacking. It was harsh, but how many times have we seen a new owner come in and want to put his own stamp on things from the dugout. It's happened many, many times, and it will continue to happen. So, you know, I'd shot Avalazzi come in and do an amazing job. Nobody would have questioned the owner's decision. But, you know, like with anything in football, when things turn sour, they do always point the finger at the owner and things like that. So, for Hull, it was a decision they did get wrong, looking back now. But, as I say, had it gone right, it would have been a masterstroke. So, where they go from here... I've I've seen quite a few quotes from the from the owner in the last couple of days saying that he wants attacking, vibrant football, that he'd rather lose three two than draw nil nil. It's clear he wants his team, his club to be 
an entertaining side to watch and to bring the goods to the MKM Stadium. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do now. But they've before they start attacking, they've got to solve these defensive woes out. Because obviously they lost 2-0 on Friday night to Luton. A uh, sweet strike from Henry Lansbury followed that comic loan goal, the latest one. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done for whoever gets this job. And, you know, with the current form they're in, they've got to arrest this slump very, very quickly. And it's just a case of how quick can they get the new guy in, whoever that proves to be. Yeah, looking at some of the names in the in the betting list, which is obviously not gospel. And if anyone's heard me speak on this topic before, I, I, take, very, really. I take very little weight in it. But I suppose it's something to go off. Uh, Carlos Corbran, most recently sat by Olympiacos. He's uh, on the shortlist, as is Carlos Carvajal, who's wanted to come back to England for a while, but had talks with Blackburn Rovers in the summer, ended up going uh, and signing a deal in Saudi Arabia. So he signed a one-year contract. I imagine he's getting paid quite a lot of money there. So I don't know how easy it will be for him to get out that deal. Other um, less well-known in a name, certainly in terms of English football, um, Sergin Yeltsin, who most recently managed Besiktas in 2020, 21, which ultimately you would have to say makes quite a lot of sense in terms of the links with the owner and, and Turkey. So we'll see where that develops. Um, to get a little bit more insight on the whole city decision and, and the view of the city fans, we got the inside track from Nathaniel from the Hull and Black podcast. Hello, this is Nathaniel from the Tahalambak podcast. Um, my thoughts on the sacking of Shotter Abaladza um, were a bit mixed, really. If he'd been sacked after the Swansea match, um, our fourth defeat in a row that we lost 3-0 um, just before the international break, I would have understood that. Um, I think, well, at that point we were only 10 games in. Um, I think that would have been too soon to sack any manager unless perhaps they'd lost every match. Um, I think the performances, even in the games we've won, haven't been good enough. So I can understand why he'd been sacked, but the timing is very strange. Um, our owner, Ajahn Ilajala, had uh, an accident, a car accident, um, in the middle of the international break. Maybe that um, changed his mind or, or um, uh, you know, changed the, uh, the meetings and uh, delayed his sacking. But apparently he had a lot of meetings during the international break, but initially, he, he wanted to keep him, and then after the two weeks just before the match, um, apparently their kind of view on the uh, club and their aims didn't align. So I'm not really sure whether it was the best decision to do it, um, not after the Swansea match, and on the day of the game. But about who I think we should bring in next, um, just I think it would have to be an attacking manager. We've got a lot of attacking players that we need to see the best of. Um, who that would be, I don't know. Sean Dyche is obviously um, a big name, but he's more of a defensive manager and I don't think we could get him or attract him. So, I mean, we've been linked with uh, two Carlos's, Carlos Corberan and Carvajal, who have both got to play finals and lost. I think one of them would be um, a pretty good option, um, although it seems perhaps more likely it could be Carlos Carvajal, who um, is maybe less of a, um, an attractive option. But really, just any manager with championship experience who's um, you know able to get the best out of the attacking talent we do have at the club. So, George, as Nathaniel said, pretty much very similar to, to the thoughts we've echoed on here, that more the timing of the decision than the actual sacking itself. Um, I think the main the main desire of Hull City fans is quite clear. They just want someone who can come in and, and revive the, the team, get a little bit more out of the attacking players, which we've just touched on. For Luton Town, of course, this was a really good away victory for them. 
Um, I, I do think they are they are another side that I can see climbing the table. We spoke in last week's pod about the teams we expect to to gradually rise in this next period of games. I, I put Luton in that bracket as well. They weren't great against Blackburn in the first half a couple of weeks ago, but they were much better in the second. And I think with injuries starting to ease a little bit, you know, you look at the goals on Friday night, Adebayo's shot, really unlucky. I know it's a very funny own goal when it comes off Alfie Jones and goes in, but the initial shot is very good. And then a, a quality strike, a humdinger from Henry Lansbury. And they might just be starting to hit a bit of form now. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? They are starting to turn the screw in. The last time I watched Luton uh, on, on TV was when they drew with Sheffield United and that was at the, the end of August and at that point they'd only won one game but the signs were there that they were starting to you know, turn the screw ever so slightly and I was quite impressed with them that night and probably you know, on another evening they might have won that game and finished 1-1 but since then they, they've been on a really upward turn. I think they've won three of their last five now. They've won the last two in, in a row, two clean sheets in a row. And Nathan Jones is starting to, you know, bring the Luton that we know back to life. After a little bit of a, not a sluggish start, but a little bit indifferent. They went the first four games without a win. They failed to score in those, uh, only scored one in those first four games. And everybody was beginning to wonder if they'd experienced a little bit of hangover from last year. But I was actually looking at some stats on Saturday night. Um, yeah, Saturday night. And Luton are actually two points better off than they were at this stage after 11 games last season. So there has been a slight improvement in the start that they've made. But I don't think it's been as sort of well-documented as you would have thought because, obviously, of that indifferent start. And they, they've gone under the radar somewhat. But Carlton Morris has obviously been in good form of late. Didn't score on Friday night, but has been in terrific form in the last six six sort of games or so. And, you know, the goals are flowing now. They I mean, they've scored two, two in the last three. So they are starting to find a little bit of consistency. They've only lost one of their last seven now. So, you know, Luton are starting to come, to come alive and starting to climb that table. They're up to up to ninth now. They're only two points off the top six. And like I say, they're two points better off than they were after 11 games last season. So there's certainly plenty to be positive about. I think it's just a case where they've just gone a little bit under the radar because of that kind of sluggish start that they experienced. But overall, for Luton in a championship campaign that we said last week is threatening to become very tightly packed. And there's not a lot of room for manoeuvre. They're right in the mix again, early doors. Looking good. Not to be outdone, Watford, of course, have had a busy week, sacking Rob Edwards after only 10 at Championship games. Slavin Bilic's era kicked off with a 4-0 demolition of Stoke City this afternoon on Sunday. Just to firstly touch on the Rob Edwards decision, it's an absolute disgrace. I'm going to put that out right now, especially after the comments of CEO Scott Duxbury, who as it's well documented, said they would back Rob Edwards to hell and high water. Of course, therefore, in Watford land, they've sacked him after 10 games. I'm, I'm sick to death of Watford doing this, to be quite honest. And I know there's some people out there that say, well, you know, it's the hire and fire approach has worked for them before. It's not worked recently. When was the last time it worked? They've been up and down from the Premier League in the last three and four years. And I just don't like it. It's not how I want football to run. It's not how I want my football club to run. And it feels like this time that the Watford fans are feeling quite disillusioned with it for the first time. I think, you know, sometimes they've been like, they probably don't like it, but, you know, they don't like the club being criticised. So they've got the backs up a little bit and tried to defend it. It does feel like with this one, even they've turned around and gone, what is going on here? They're just not giving the, 
the fans anything to believe in him. For the CEO to come out and say, we'll back the manager to hell and high water and then sack him after 10 games, you are quite frankly taking the fans for a ride. They are not mugs. It's not on. And I don't like it. That said, football fans are very fickle. Wins like this and a 4-0 victory soon makes it disappear. So we'll park that there for a minute. Don't like the Rob Edwards decision, but it's happened. Slavin Bilic is in. Ultimately, Slavin Bilic is a decent appointment. Do I think Watford are more likely to get promoted this season under Slavin Bilic than Rob Edwards? Yeah, I probably do, actually. It's the fact that why make that decision in the first place? Just waste everyone's time and bring in Rob Edwards, which is where my grievance is. Um, but Bilic... In isolation, you can't say it's a bad appointment and they were really, really good this afternoon, albeit, and we'll come on to this, Stoke were horrendous. But Watford did play very well. Um, I thought that the 4 2 3 one looked really good. I thought you could just see them pressing with a lot more intensity and I noticed in particular there was one moment in the second half where Bilic ran to the touchline who was jeering his players on and really being very animated and, and almost willing them to press harder and run harder and it certainly got the desired effect. Um, Imran loser. he only came on for half an hour, George, but I thought he looked excellent. And I know he's a player that a lot of Watford fans are excited about and have pointed to in terms of his absence at the start of this season. Central midfielder, which is probably a place in the team where I think they've looked a little bit light. You know, Hamza Chowdhury's come in and done okay. Um, Kenya's done okay as well. Cleverly's a little bit, is he past it now a little bit, albeit a solid operator. I think loser with with a lovely left foot, and you saw that with the third goal, where it probably is a shot, but he just hits it so well, it ends up diverting to the back post, and it's turned in by um, it's turned in for the third goal. He looks a really good player, and it was a good start for Slavin Bilic, wasn't it? As bad as Stoke were, dream start. I mean, you can't ask for anything better, can you? An away game, four goals, clean sheet, three points, job done. It was the perfect start, and I think you know. After the the way that Rob Edwards was dismissed, even though to be fair, it did actually receive a mixed reaction among the Watford fans. I saw quite a few that were actually pleased with the decision, but we'll uh, we'll not go over Watford's hiring and firing policy because we could talk about it for months. But by the time we finish, Billich will probably be gone anyway. So um, yeah, I mean for for Billich, like you said, I think even though I don't necessarily agree with the decision to have sat Rob Edwards so quickly, I think it is a very good appointment. You know, he knows the league. He did a good job at West Brom, got them out of the championship. Obviously not in the championship, but he did a good job at West Ham as well overall, I thought. And, you know, he, he's a he's quite a big-name manager as well. Obviously, he knows, knows English football inside out. So, personally, I think it is a smart move. And, you know, as, as bad as Stoke were on Sunday afternoon, there was a, an array of positives for Watford to take. I thought they looked really vibrant, really energetic, and that will extend from the manager. Because we know Village is quite a quite a motivator. He's a bit of a character on the touchline. And, you know, there was a lot to be positive about, albeit one game in, but you can only you can only assess what you've seen and it was a really good start. You know, and I think the thing for me is when you break down that Watford team, I think, you know, player for player, they've got a really, really exciting squad for the league, haven't they? It's just, and obviously Joao Pedro was missing yeah, was as well say, through injury today. So, you know, it's it proves it. That they've got the personnel and the quality to, you know, if they put their minds to it and really go for it, they could really storm this league. So for Village, it's the perfect start. Keenan Davis, he's started to come alive now. Two goals in his last two games, and we we saw at Nottingham Forest last season what he's all about. So I think if he can get a good run in the team, say well Pedro's sidelined and get some goals, 
that's going to create some healthy competition at the top end of the pitch. A goal and assist for Ismail Assar. We know what he's capable of. Ken Semmer as well, obviously, with a goal. And obviously Bio off the bench, who, you know, keeps chipping in now and again. So there's such a good pool of options there for Bilic to work with. So I think it's just a case of they've just got to remain concentrating, remain focused, and just, you know, they need consistency, but how long are they going to get it? You can already, in your mind, you can already sense what's going to happen here. Watford will go on a really good run. They'll get promoted. They'll have a bad start to next season in the Premier League. Billard will be gone. Repeat. You already know what's coming. This, I'm, I mean, this sacking policy, it's just ridiculous. But they're never going to change. We all thought the appointment of Rob Edwards, it was something different. It was a young, upcoming British coach opposed to big names of the past, such as Ranieri and people like that. It seemed like it was going to be a new approach. And we sat here, start the season, and said it seems like they are going to head down a different route. They're going to change the philosophy of things like that. And it lasted 11 games in League and Cup. That was it. So it really does beg the question, what what is going to go? And Billich, for me, how long is he going to get? Seriously, if he's not top of the league by Christmas, is that going to be it as well? I just don't know. You just can't predict anything with these Watford owners. But for a first game in charge, he couldn't have asked for a better beginning. A really encouraging performance. But as for Stoke... My word, it's uh, not looking rosy, is it, at all? No, they're a serious worry. They, they were awful. They really were. They, they absolutely capitulated when the second goal went in to make it 2-0. Some of the defending was horrific. The second goal was awful. Third one, a little bit unlucky, I suppose, with, with it being a, a shot cross that goes in. The fourth goal is dreadful as well. Um, way too easy for Keenan Davis to shift it back on his left foot before he drives across goal. And Stoke just looked really, really disjointed. There's no energy in the team. There's not a lot of cohesion in defence or up front. The defence looks a little bit lopsided. Like you've got, sometimes you're playing a back three, sometimes it's a four. I'm not sure they've got the wing backs. You know, they've got Harry Clark, who's not been playing. He's been injured. He's come came back in as a sub today. So Fosu Henry's playing, who's a winger, and, playing at wing back. Dujon Sterling. Dujon Sterling playing left wing back when he's a right footer. And then up front, things aren't clicking either. Gale is on a very barren run. Um, Campbell can't get in as a result. And let's be fair, his form has been patchy since he came back. Um, Liam Delap not getting a lot of service to really judge him too too intently. And as always, Nick Powell's injured. So it's not it's not a great situation for Stoke to be in and They've had a couple of okay results in the last few weeks, but as Alex Neal outlined in his post-match press conference, they've not gone behind in any of those games. And I think it says a lot about the mentality of a group when you go behind and capitulate as badly as that. And that's exactly what Neil said post-match. And I have to agree with him. Yeah, I mean, he, when he left Sunderland for Stoke, we were all gushing over it, thinking what a fantastic appointment. Sunderland are really going to feel the impact of this and it's Sunderland who have kicked on and it's it's Neil that's experienced a really bad start he's won one of his first five and that I know you can only beat what's in front of you but that was against obviously a really out of sorts and poor Hull City side so it's not been a good start it really hasn't and it's now obviously two games without a goal as well and when I look at their next run of games it's bad I fear for them I really fear for them out of their next six Three of them, they've got Burnley away, Sheffield United at home and Norwich away. That is a really tough crop of fixtures. And Burnley and Sheffield United, they've got coming this coming week. Away at Burnley on, I think on Wednesday night and then Sheffield United at home next Saturday. So 
you know, on paper, realistically, you look at those two games and you can't see them. You know, anything can happen in the Championship. Of course it can. But can you see them realistically getting a good haul of points from those two games? I can't, personally. No stranger things have happened. But I really do worry for them. And, you know, Jacob Brown last season was was absolutely superb. He was brilliant. We expect him to kick on this season. He's only scored two so far this season. Well, he's not played Liam up front De- for, for much of it. He's been shoved on Liam the wing or even, to, even played right wing back against Reading. Liam Delap's yet to get off the mark. I mean, for, uh, Tyrese Campbell's only got the one goal so far. It, it is a worry for Stoke. It really is. And, you know, Alex Neal, we know he's a better manager than what the results are suggesting at the minute. There's no doubt about that, but they are not showing any signs that they were better off by sacking Michael O'Neill, even though that had turned stale. They've not shown any signs to suggest that they've got that out of the system and are playing any better because I'm yet to see anything to suggest that they have improved since then. So I, I do think Stoke have got to turn this around very quickly because the fans are going to, well, they already are, they're getting very angry about it, very impatient and understandable. They were a Premier League club not that long ago and they couldn't now look any further away from a return that they did when they dropped down a few years back. So a really big week coming up for Alex Neal. Obviously, Burnley, Sheffield United, you couldn't ask really for a tougher week could you're playing two of the current top four. So a massive, massive uh, week ahead for Alex Neal. And for me, it's imperative that he, he wins one of those two games. Absolutely. Uh, moving on, we've still got seven more fixtures to go. and we've, we've nearly been chatting for 25 minutes, so... Let's fly through a couple of these. Uh, Reading 3, Huddersfield Town 1. Reading, very, very good again. 21 points from the first 11 games, which I don't think anyone could have expected at the start of the season. You've got to take your hat off to Paul Ince and the job he is doing there. The home form in particular continues to go from strength to strength. But my God, they were given a helping hand by some horrific Huddersfield Town defending. Mark Fotheringham is the new man in the door for the Terriers and boy has he got a task on his hands to turn this group around at the moment. The second and the third goals were comical. Second one slightly unlucky as it bounced in off Nichols but the third one was just awful from it, from the defending, the pass from Mbete to give it away. Then the inability to deal with Yakumete and then Lee Nichols dropping the ball for him to tap in. Absolute mess uh, of a goal for Huddersfield Town and They've got to sort this out quickly because they they could get not cut adrift because there's so many games to go, but it's becoming a steep task. And they they have looked like the worst team in the division this season for 11 games now. Coventry, I think, have been a better side, although they're below them in the table, of course, because of the game's difference. I think Huddersfield have been the worst team in the league. And I think the optimism that was followed by this appointment so more, if there's any more performances like that, that will quickly be washed away. Um, it's a big ask. It's another appointment that doesn't fill you with a great deal of confidence because it's another risk. Now, appointing Carlos Corbran was a risk. So, you know, I kind of see them as one all at the moment, given the recent uh, failure of Danny Schofield. It's a gamble. We don't know a lot about Fotheringham, of course. We'll learn in the coming days. He's certainly a forthright character. He certainly has no lack of self-belief and wants to be quite a dominating figure, I think, which could be a good thing, given they don't really have that many star players, Sorba Thomas aside. And as you've said many times, their biggest asset in the summer was Carlos Corbran. So having a manager that thinks he can at least fill that void is a good thing. 
but he's going to have a big task and he's got to get them defending better than they were. They were so good defensively, but it feels like they've gone back to identical how they were in the first year of Carlos Corbran's tenure. Something's gone horribly wrong, hasn't it? It's it's an absolute car crash, to be honest. I mean, that third goal on Saturday just summed up their season so far. It was a nightmare. and We've become so used in the last 12 months to seeing Lee Nichols as one of the best shot stoppers, arguably outside the Premier League. And he just dropped an absolute blunder, didn't he, with that one and didn't exactly cover himself in too much glory for the second either. So it's, it's a massive job for Mark Fodringham. It really, really is. It's it's a challenge that, you know, could be considered very brave to step into. But, you know, like you said, he seems quite a charismatic figure and obviously he got the belief that he can get Huddersfield out of this rut. But I know we talk about we're still early into the season. For Huddersfield, they've only played 10 games so far. But, you know, the longer this persists, a gap potentially could widen, even though those directly above them are stuttering as well at the minute. But, you know, when you've lost the playoff final last year, you don't expect to be in this position, whether you keep your manager or not. The, the you know you, they've kept the vast majority of the squad together. She lost key personnel in the summer: um, Lewis O'Brien, Toffolo, Levi Colwell back to Chelsea. But you know players like Sorba Thomas, who so often stepped up last season, Tom Lees, those sort of guys who were you know the forefront of what they did. Another one. There were so many that stepped up last year. As a you know, as I many said many times at Huddersfield, they weren't the team that were littered with outstanding championship top-end players. They were a collective team that worked so hard for each other and performed as a unit. And this season just could not be any further from that. They just look a complete car crash at the back. And, you know, it summed it up with those goals conceded on Saturday. So for Mark Fotheringham, it's a, it's a mammoth task. And you've said there about it being a bit of a risk managerial appointment, and it certainly is. But I suppose in a way, like every transfer deal, Every managerial appointment is a risk, but it's one like these that, you know, have not got a managerial reputation. Obviously, everybody has to start somewhere. I fully appreciate that. Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, they have to start somewhere. But, you know, when you're in a situation like this in a bit of a rut, you kind of want to call on somebody with some experience who's been there, done it. And, you know, had he not thrown the towel in and called time, I still stand by that. I think Neil Warnock would have been the perfect man in this situation, just to, even if it was just till. The rest of this season, but I say the rest of this season, only ten games in, so it's you know it's a bit of a bit of a cop out that saying rest of the season when we're only in October. But you know, it's it's not good. They're in a bit of a mess and they're struggling badly, and they've really really got to turn things around quickly. And like I said, Mark Fotheringham, I take my hat off to him in the sense that you know he's seen this as an opportunity where he can go in, make a name for himself, and try and turn things around. But you look at their upcoming games; he's got another away game on Tuesday night against Luton. Obviously, uh, picking up form at the minute. So he's got another away game to get through before he gets to his first home game. And that is against Hull City. How big a game could that be? That's next Sunday. And then they've got Rotherham. So they've got back-to-back local derbies. And, you know, realistically, he has got to take points from them. They're the games that he's... Particularly that one with Hull City. His first home game, that is one they've got to win. Yeah, we've spoke about two managerial changes already, George, and it does feel increasingly like we're going to be talking about some more in the next couple of weeks because West Brom have won one game in 11 and the pressure on Steve Bruce is growing. Bit of a sliding doors moment uh, where Carlton Grant misses a penalty at 2 all, and then a sucker punch at the other end where um, Oberfemi getting the winner. Nice turn on off the bench. Good finish. West Brom, it's... 
it's this awful recipe of disaster where they keep being woeful at the back and they keep missing sitters in attack. And it's not going to get you many points and it's not going to be good for your managerial safety. Now, the problem with West Brom last season was they couldn't create anything. This year, they're creating plenty. They just can't put the ball in the back of the net for the chances they're creating. And at the back, they have been horrific all year. I don't know if it's because they played a back three for the last couple of years and they've gone to a four this year, but for the quality of player they've got in terms of options, in terms of O'Shea, Bartley, Ajayi, I know um, Ajayi and Bartley are out injured at the moment. Eric Peters is an experienced player. They are woeful defensively. I'm not convinced by the goalkeeper either. Obviously, he he had an absolute clangor for the first goal in this one. I think not replacing Sam Johnston was a mistake in the summer. I actually probably would have put Alex Palmer in goal before Button personally. Feels like he had a really great season at Lincoln, was ready to make the step up, and he's had two years or a season and a bit on the sidelines, which is not great for his development either. His job is looking ever more precarious as every match day goes past, isn't it? It certainly is. And, you know, I, I said recently, uh, as recently as last week in that podcast that we did, kind of reflecting on the season so far and summing things up, that West Brom's performances have not really been as bad as the results have suggested. But when they're continuing to ship goals like they are doing, it is becoming a real problem. And, you know, Steve Bruce, he made some really shrewd additions in the summer. The likes of John Swift, Jed Wallace, they were really good signings. And we're supposed to have the desired impact and help them climb the league and mount an automatic promotion charge. And when you consider I've got them and Middlesbrough as my uh, pre-season top two, it could go down in the worst pre-season predictions of all time at this rate. Because West Brom, I mean, you know, like I said, performances have been better than results suggested. They've only lost three of their first 11 games, but they've only won one. One win in 11. It's it's. It's awful. For the quality of players they've got, it is just not good enough. And admittedly, some, some of the players want to take some of the blame. For me, some have not stepped up, they've not performed well enough, and they've not taken the chances that have been created. So I don't think it is all on Steve Bruce because, like I said, they've not necessarily played that badly. It's just a case they've not finished the chances off. But the fact that they've now lost back-to-back home games, both by three goals to two, I mean, the fact that they're scoring two at home and it's still not enough to even get a point, is becoming a worry. So I do think, for me personally, Steve Bruce is, you know, he, he's got to really pull something out of the bag over the next week or so because the pressure is mounting. And, and rightfully so. It is It is right that it is because, you know, for West Bromwich Albion, it is not good that they are sitting 21st in the table after 11 games. They've scored 17, but they've also conceded 17. So it's a big, big week coming up for West Brom. And when you consider they've got Preston away, and then looting at home, they're two games that they could easily win. But they're also two games that they could very, very easily lose. But obviously, Preston have to score a goal for that to happen, which we know doesn't happen very often. But, you know, for, for Steve Bruce, he's got to pull something out of the bag. Otherwise, I think he could be, you know, he could be the next one in line for the chop in what is becoming a, a crazy season of sackings, to be fair. So a big, big week for him. And I think uh, we'll be able to say the same thing about another manager in uh, in the next few minutes. Yes, uh, not the next few minutes, actually. But uh, one defeat in five for Swansea as well, with three wins in that run as well. They're starting to look far better than they were at the start of the season. I think certainly you had high hopes for them. You predicted them to finish sixth this season. 
starting to see small signs of that improvement now after pretty horrendous start to the championship season. They're looking a little bit more cohesive, a little bit better in defence, a little bit sharper in attack. And uh, it's been a good couple of weeks for Russell Martin's side. Another team that doesn't currently have a manager, George, is Rotherham United. They were beaten 2-0 by Wigan Athletic under the the stewardship of Lee Peltier and Richard Wood this week. Wood, of course, starting at centre-half, so it was Peltier on the touchline leading things. They were turned down by Mark Bonner this week from Cambridge United. Matt Taylor's been offered the job at Exeter City. Um, What have you made of this week with Rotherham United and, and the appointment of potentially Matt Taylor? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll start with matters on the pitch, then move into the more in-depth stuff. Obviously, Rotherham, they had the chance against Wigan, particularly in the first half. They did create quite a good number of opportunities. But as we know, Wigan have proven a really, really tough nut to crack away from home at the minute. They've they've collected, I think, a joint most points in England's top four tiers so far. They've seen one four of the first five on the road. Really impressive. So it was never going to be an easy game for Rotherham, let's be honest. And... You know, Wigan are a side that have obviously got this ability to win games on the road and, and perform really well. But for Rotherham, it was always going to be a difficult one. It was going to be an emotional afternoon. It was the beginning of a new era after so many years with one man in the dugout. I think it's very similar to when Chris Wilder left Sheffield United a couple of years back when, you know, they'd been under one man for so, so long and it's going to take time to adjust. So whether Matt Taylor is going to be the man who takes over this job and, and accepts it, he said yesterday, Saturday, that he'd got to sit down and have a proper think about what he wanted to do. Doing a good job at Exeter, got them promoted last season. He is a manager whose stock is on the rise. And I think in some ways it's very similar to the way Watford poached Rob, Rob Edwards in, in the summer, when the fact that he just obviously got Forest Green promoted to League One. So similarities, but obviously expectations at Rotherham very, very different to those at Watford. So for me, we discussed it last week and, you know, the sort of, appointment Rotherham could choose and I think we both agreed that Dean Holden seemed the best best available one out of work but I think Matt Taylor you know I think he'd kind of suit the way that Rotherham want to go somebody young somebody up and coming obviously expectations this season that the ultimate goal is survival and if he was to come in and do that even though they've had a good start to the season under Paul Warren it would be seen as success for him so I think, you know, going for him, it, w- it would be a decent move. He's had a good start to his managerial career. So, I think, personally, I think it would be a good shout. Extra, I mean, at the minute, they're 11th in League One after 11 games. New promoted team, been a solid start. I think he'd tick a lot of boxes for Rotherham. I think, you know, if they're looking at a manager that's currently at a club and in work, I think he's the sort of one that, you know, you could you could understand and probably warm to. So, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the coming days. I think, I think we'll definitely, definitely know something by the weekend, one way or another, perhaps even by Rotherham's midweek game. So, you know, Matt Taylor, for me, I think it would be a, a sensible one. In To be fair, I think quite a limited market for what Rotherham are shopping in. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think it would be a good appointment. I think Mark Bonner would have been a better appointment and a good, a good fit, but obviously he felt that it wasn't an opportunity he wanted to take right now as a, a boyhood Cambridge fan living the dream. I think it's a good appointment. It's a gamble, of course, going in the lower leagues. But equally, Matt Taylor's done a really good job since he came in at Exeter in 2018. He's taken them up from League 2 into the league, into League 1. And they've taken League 1 really comfortably. They've, they're doing a really good uh, job in that division this year. So I think it would be a decent appointment. It's good to see managers from the lower leagues doing a great job and getting an opportunity higher up the pyramid. 
So I think they definitely could go worse. And, you know, ultimately, we, we say they're a gamble, managers from lower leagues, but they're yet to fail is another way of looking at it, rather than going for managers that, oh, yeah, they, they've failed at championship level before. Prime example, I suppose, Paul Warren. Worked with yeah, other in absolutely. the lower leagues. And this season, I mean, they've had a couple of relegations, obviously, in the last few years, but, you know... This season, he's proven that he's got what it takes. And there's been many other examples of managers that have come through the leagues and gone on to do really, really well. So, you know, like I said with Mark Fotheringham a few minutes ago at Huddersfield, any managerial appointment, whoever you are, is a gamble, regardless of who it is. It can go one of two ways. So if it's going to be Matt Taylor, all I'll say is I think they could have done a hell of a lot worse. But for me, I think for the way Rotherham are and the way they're going to look to operate, coming out, obviously, in such a long era with Paul Bourne, I think it makes sense. So, obviously, it's not signed and sealed yet, as we know, but I think there is a growing belief that it is going to be him who's going to be the next man in the dugout. So, fair play to him, because I think, you know, he's he's looked at it and thought, yeah, I'm ready for a step up. So, yeah, I think I think it's a sensible one for Rotherham, even though I do think Dean Holder may have been slightly better, but we shall see. We shall see. I tend to agree. Uh, quick note on Wigan. I think they've been fantastic, I have to say, at the start of the season, particularly away from home. Two nicely taken goals. Yeah, two, two nicely taken goals. Charlie White cutting back for Wilkin to smash in and then Naylor to steal the points as well. Can't go under the radar. Fantastic goal line clearance from James McLean from a what would have been a sensational goal from uh, Chiawag Bene. So, really good start to the season from Wigan. 10th, only two defeats. And as you say, unbeaten in their five away games, winning four of those. Moving now to two sides battling to try and get in the championship top six at the end of the season, Bristol City and Queen's Park Rangers. It was the R's that came away with a 2-1 win at Ashton Gate, up to fifth now in the championship table QPR. And it feels like they're starting to gel, starting to hit their stride under Mick Beale. It's only one defeat in seven, four wins in that run as well. Chris Willock being crucial as ever, setting up the first goal, albeit with the, the help of a post, his strike from range. Coming back to Stefan Johansson, who finished for 1-0. Quickfire second from Tyler Roberts as well for his champ- first championship goal of the season. And, uh, of course, Narky Wells pulled one back. But QPR do feel like they're starting to hit some hit some form. They've had some injuries as well. Um, Rob Dickey not involved either at the, the weekend. He's, he's out of an injury at the moment. So, slowly starting to show signs of improvement. Keeping Willock is so crucial. Keeping him fit, which I feel like we're, we're becoming a stuck record with that. I don't think there is a, a player more important to a team than Chris Willock is to QPR, and, and we've said that already. But that front three of Roberts, Chair, and Willock should cause problems for anyone in the division. And a little bit more cohesion, a little bit more quality in midfield and at the back, which we've seen in this little run. And uh, they've got a squad that certainly, if they keep players fit, is certainly good enough to be competing and pushing for, for those couple of final playoff places. Without any shadow of a doubt. I think there's every chance that QPR, you know, when you look at the teams that you consider not like the top end clubs, like your Sheffield United, your Burnley's, your Norwich's, then you look at your kind of, I don't know, like... Runners and riders. Yeah, you're sort of your middle, middle of the road sort of thing, never going to be at the bottom, but always going to be kind of 12th upwards competing and battling and pushing everybody else. I think you like your QPR, your Blackburns, your Bristol Cities, that sort of thing. QPR at the minute look very good. They've clearly adapted well to what Mick Beale wants. And I think what's crucial for me is the fact recently they've only conceded one goal in the last three games. So it proves they're getting it right at both ends of the pitch. And all three defeats they've had so far have only been 1-0. So they've not been pasted by anybody. 
They look a really well-drilled, organised team. And like you said, that front three is so crucial and it's got the ability to, to cause problems for anybody in this league. And to go to a team like Bristol City, who obviously been, you know, they've been ticking over nicely in, in recent weeks at home and get a, a good, solid away 2-1 win, that for me could be, you know, one of those results that could be imperative come the end of the season. It's one of those where you could easily lose it, but you could very much win it and it could be a crucial one. So QPR for me, they've got every chance of being in this playoff mixture this season. And I actually put a tweet out on the podcast earlier today, Sunday afternoon, asking QPR fans what they'd made to make Bills start the season and how things are going. And one of them actually responded that he was the manager that they'd had the most trust in since Neil Warnock. So it's fair to say that he's won the fans over instantly. They love him already. Uh, one one quote is saying that he was the best manager in the world. Not quite sure about that, but they, yeah, he's clearly had a, a very good impact and he's well-liked already by the fans. And, you know, we, we looked at it when he came in and we thought, you know, he's not really one that we know much about, but he's clearly got a decent reputation from his academy football days and things like that, worked at Villa. And he's come in and what a start they've had. They, they've been brilliant. They really have. And like you say, Chris Willock, I mean, what a player. Literally, what a player. He, he's superb. He's a joy to watch. And he, he's almost, even though obviously QPR have got so much more about them at the top end of the pitch, like Roberts, Chair, Lyndon Dykes, for instance, he just seems to be central to everything they do, doesn't he? He is so important. But like you said, it's not a wise of, is a step up, isn't he? Oh, God, yeah. His forms, his numbers are just terrific. And, you know, he's been telling this season that the record's been far better with him than without him. So it's no coincidence that, that they are, you know, picking up results when he's on the pitch compared to when they're not. So... He is a vital player. For me, I think he's now threatened to become one of the best players in the championship, to be fair. I, I think so. he's certainly in the in the top-end bracket. I mean, we always look at the top-end players and we always think like the Burnley, Sheffield United, Norwiches, that sort of thing. But there's several clubs that are lit with individuals that, you know, are absolutely lighting up the championship already this season. And Willock's one of them. So for QPR, I think, you know, what they've got among them at the minute I think they're looking a really good bet. And you look at their next few games, got Sheffield United away, Reading at home, Luton away, Cardiff. And they've got a tough set of games coming up. So I think this will be a real period where we see just what they are capable of. But already I'm looking at that game at Sheffield United on Tuesday evening as we record on Sunday. And I'm thinking that that is a definite one that QPR could surprise. I really think QPR could go to Sheffield United and win. They've certainly got it in them to cause a surprise. But again, is it that much of a surprise? Because we know just how gifted and talented they are at the top end of the pitch. They've got players who can hurt anybody. So I think QPR are fast becoming a team that really you, you don't want to have to deal with. Mick Beale's done a very good job so far and I think there's more to come. Really impressed. George Smith firmly in the QPR fan club. It's usually Definitely. me. It's usually me in yeah. there with uh, Mark Warburton, but now he's gone I've, and I've ended left my, my subscription. I've left my Nottingham Forest love from last season behind and gone to QPR this year. I've Very good. Uh, from Bristol City's point of view, they, they've earned a lot of plaudits, but I just I can't get over the defence and how bad it is and how often they concede goals, even when they play That's well the offensively. Problem, they can't expect to finish above 10th, in my opinion, with the current back line or, well, not the current back line in terms of personnel, but playing the way that the back line is. They are good for two goals a game easily. And if you've got to score three goals to get a win in the Championship, you are not going to get in the top six of the championship. That is for sure. Um, Blackburn Rovers 2, Millwall 1. Of course, a game I was at. 
Rovers up to sixth with their fourth home win in six at home. The home form at Ewood Park starting to definitely improve and becoming not a fortress, but certainly becoming a little more um, difficult for teams to come and dominate. I have to say it was an awful first half from both teams. Very similar to the game at Luton a fortnight ago where both teams were dreadful in the first half. Blackburn got worse and Luton got better. Well, this time around, it was the other way around with Blackburn much improved. And they uh, they took the game by the scruff of the neck. An absolute gift for Tyrese Dolan to open the scoring, it has to be said. First an error by Murray Wallace to not intercept the ball over the top from Tyler Morton. Gallagher then squaring it for uh, George Long and for Charlie Cresswell to somehow combine to just get in each other's way. And, and it fell to Dolan for a tap-in with six yards out. Interesting with Tyrese Dolan, all of his last eight goals have come at Ewood Park, which is an interesting one, probably says more about the types of goals he's scoring, perhaps. But yeah, that was an absolute gift. The second one wasn't defended much better. Bedekafobe getting a flick at the front post from a corner, which took it into the path of Brereton Diaz, who reacted quickest for his fifth of the season. It was definitely a, a deserved win for Blackburn, but they weren't sparkling by any means, it has to be said. No, definitely not. I was keeping track of your tweets, actually, on Saturday afternoon. Very nice. So, first half, you you weren't very impressed, shall we say. It was no, probably it was one of the worst much... first halves I've ever seen. It was really bad. You, did, you didn't watch Sheffield Wednesday versus Port Vale, mate. That no, that was definitely no, bad. But the, the pitch didn't help on that one. But we'll not bore everybody with League One football. Um, but no, Blackburn, you know, they're, they're just proving to be the inconsistent cells that they are. If they could just find a bit of a rhythm... You know, they'd be all right. But like you said, they're, and yet they're slowly six. starting. I know it's weird, isn't it? And this is my argument that... How do you think I feel? I've seen every game. That, that This is my argument that there isn't as much quality in the Championship this season where nobody can seem to string a run of form together. This is my biggest argument, that nobody seems to be, except Could for Could you Norwich argue that win-loss, win-loss, win-loss is a string of form? Well, it's, it's a string just of form, but it's not a string of form that you want, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's better than drawing drawing two in a row, isn't it? I mean, at least you're yeah. going a point extra sort of thing. But, you know, you don't want to be winning one week, then losing, then winning, and etc. So for Blackburn, like you said, they're slowly starting to pick up the points at home, which is good. They just need to find a rhythm of consistency of positive results, shall we say, rather than consistency of win-lose, win-lose. Yet to draw, obviously. So at least they're proving entertaining in a certain aspect. So, you know, they've got to try and just find a little bit consistent. But like you said, they've been up there and they've not dropped beneath eighth so far this season. So for Yondal Thomason, I mean, you know, it's a good start. It's solid. It's respectable. You know, aside from that run where they lost three in a row after winning the first three, they've not been that bad really in recent weeks. So, you know... I think for me, the frustration as someone that obviously covers the club and goes to every game, it's that... Whenever you think they might start building some momentum, like the 2-0 the win against Watford, they then throw in a shocker away at Luton. And I think there's, they've got eight games in October, obviously one gone, and none of them are that daunting. Probably the trickiest one is Middlesbrough away, and Middlesbrough are garbage at the moment. So <laughs> that could be in their favour. So I do see this as a, a run of fixtures where, mm. albeit the, Thomason keeps saying he wants to get to the World Cup break because he thinks that month will be crucial to work with the players because they signed quite a lot of their, their signings late as well in the window. And I agree with that, but I do think they've got a real opportunity in these next seven games, which they've obviously kick-started really well with a win, 
to get some points on the board, really, because no one's taking the championship by the scruff of the neck outside of the, the probably, well, outside. I was going to say outside of Sheffield United, Norwich and Burnley, but Burnley are on the same points as Blackburn. So it just shows how this this, this season can, can look weird by the fact we probably say Burnley have been one of the top three sides in the league, yet they've got the same points as Blackburn because they keep drawing. Draws kill you. So winning, win-loss, win-loss is, is working for Rovers at the minute. Yeah, I guess so. But like you said, that upcoming run of games that they've got, I've just got their next six in front of me. You know, it's it's a crop of games that realistically they could Nothing get a daunting, good haul of points from. But then at the same time, you look at, you know, trips to Cardiff, a home game with Sunderland, not necessarily easy but very much games they could win. And, you know, there's one game I'm looking at in particular, and it's that trip to Wigan uh, just over a week's time or so. Wigan yet to win at home, local derby. That's one that could go either way, I think. So if they can just, you know, sort of turn up for those games and be at their fluent best, they've got enough. So a big period, I think, for Blackburn. But like you say, sixth so far after incredibly inconsistent form. But... They're winning games at times, so you can't complain too much. And it's good to see, obviously, Tyrese Dolan getting a goal at the weekend as well. Pleased for him. Obviously, he did so well last year and chipped in with things. And obviously, Big Ben Burton Diaz doing the damage again. So, Yondal Thomason, you know, he knows he's spoiled for choice and attack. It's just a case of finding that rhythm. So, the, the goal is clear for, for Blackburn. Not too many concerns except for the lack of consistency. Millwall, they were absolutely dreadful. Really bad, really bad. I was shocked. There was chance of Gary Rowett, your football is shit from the away end when the first goal went in. And perhaps for the first time, is this team underperforming under Gary Rowett with the squad they've got? I think based, and I've only seen them obviously as in depth at the weekend, they were really bad, I have to say. And if I was a fan of Millwall, I would not be very impressed. They were so negative. Now, if you're coming to Blackburn, who have won five and lost five, surely you think they're there for the taking, and that you that you oh, can at least go. have a, you can at least have a, have a go. They did not start playing or showing any attacking intent until ten minutes to go after they'd scored a goal. I can totally get the frustration of the fans because it's a squad that's got options now, and it was the style of play. It was really bad. It was it was turgid, George. I have to be honest. I was really taken aback by how bad Millwall were. It's, it's a strange one, isn't it, with Millwall? Because, as I've said year on year, they are so close to bridging that gap to the playoffs and really cementing a run. But again, I'm just not seeing enough evidence to suggest that they're capable of it. Recruiting well, in the has summer, the I squad has the squad now got so good? Oh, it's certainly got better. I think it's the best squad it's they've had to got work better. with. I think it's the recruitment in the summer was excellent. So now is now is the style of play holding them back rather than the squad potentially. Potentially, I think there's I, that I, argument to be made for the first time in Gary Rowett's tenure. Not going to make a secret. Obviously, obviously, I don't watch Millwall every week. I've not seen a full Millwall game in its entirety this season. I've only seen highlights of them. And, you know, they've won four of their first 11. It's not too bad when you compare the, the amount of games that other teams have won in the Championship so far. As I said, everybody's form has been patchy. It's really quite weird, really. But I think the thing for me is the fact that they are, you know... As I said a few weeks ago, it's their inability away from home. This is the problem. They are too reliant on their form at the Den, which we always say is an intimidating place to go. But their away form so far stands at one draw, four defeats from their first five on the road. They've only scored three goals as well. So 
it's clear where the problem lies. And let's not forget, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Because obviously, they got two own goals in stoppage time against Swansea back towards the start of the season on that dramatic night. So it's obvious that their away form is what is going to, you know, hinder any hopes of the playoffs unless they change it around quickly. Because it, you can't be going to every away game knowing with the mindset, we're not going to win this game. This is the problem. They just cannot get anything away from home. And, you know, Gary Rowett, like you say, he's done a very, very good job at the Millwall in his time there. That is the thing. He's done a really good job and he has progressed them. The recruitment's got better during his time there as well. But, like I say, it's this away form that's going to hold them back. And I'm just looking at the Championship home and away table so far this season. Only Huddersfield have picked up fewer points so far and they're on zero. So, Millwall on one. So, you know, it's, it's obvious to me where the problem lies. It's something they've got to address quickly because at home, we know they're, they're never too bad at home. No, another two team that's not very bad at home, Coventry City, when they get to play at home, are quite good. Um, <laughs> big win for them. Only their second home match of the season, of course, due to the pitch problems. Their first 3pm kickoff on a Saturday with a full crowd behind them. And I think it showed they created good chances. Casey Palmer missed a sitter and then Victor Jokerez, who, of course, Middlesbrough touted and chased in the summer, showing his pace and quality to finish for the game's only goal. 1-0 win. Mark Robbins delighted to get off the mark. Big victory for them to make sure the gap doesn't get too big uh, from those above them. For Middlesbrough, I feel like we're back here at uh, it's Groundhog Day. Hapless defending again. Lack of cutting edge, tempo, intensity, all the things we associate with a Chris Wilder side missing. There's been rumours this week about Bournemouth, which I'm sorry, they don't come from nowhere. I'm not I'm not having the, I don't know where these rumours have come from, from Chris Wilder. They come from somewhere. There's no smoke without a fire, as they say, certainly as someone who works in journalism. And it's clearly not a happy camp there. There is clearly tension behind the scenes with Kieran Scott, who's head of recruitment, has been reported. And the results are not improving. And who's out there that could be better is the only thing probably keeping Chris Wilder in a job. I suppose you're right. Because, I mean, I said it last week, Chris Wilder really, on paper, and over the last few years, he's probably been the best manager in the Championship with what he's achieved. This is the first time in his career that he's experienced a major disappointing run like this. And it's it's unimaginable, really. You can't believe it. And it's going to happen you've to got him. To it's going to happen to every it is. manager. It is. The, the, the thing for does. me is, I don't like this. It feels like he's chucking toys out of the pram a little bit with these links to other jobs. That's what I don't like, yeah. rather than the results. Because every manager has a sticky spell. But stick it out. Prove yourself. Yeah. Don't, don't walk think, away. You know, quite similarly, I think... It's the first, we're also seeing the exact same thing, aren't we, with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. I think it's the first time you know he's experienced a real bad patch, but you can't imagine sort of it lasting too long. And I think the same thing goes with, with Chris Wilder and Middlesbrough because we know what a good manager he is. But like you say, when he's coming out and kind of, you know, talking about other jobs and things like that, it's not going to help the players who have also got to take some of the blame. Let's not forget. You've got to take a there lot was of a, blame. Really angry backlash, though, in reaction to the team lineup on Saturday. I saw a lot of tweets saying that if Wilder, you know, if we lose this game, he's he's really going to be in for it. But if we win it, he's going to be deemed a hero. So for me, I think, you know, he's treading very thin ice. He really is. And, you know, them and West Brom, 
as I've said already on, <laughs> they were the two teams I'd say for the top two. This is going to go down as my worst predictions in history. And let's be honest, I've made some pretty crap ones on this podcast in the last few years. Agreed. But exactly. True, true. Honesty is the best policy, mate. But um, yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough on Saturday, I, you, you went for Coventry as your shock. You always felt it was one of them games, you know, 3pm kick up on a sack first time this season, crowd behind them. And Middlesbrough didn't really have an answer for what Coventry threw at them. So for Borough, it's it's a situation that they've got to address. And we said last week, didn't we, that like West Brom, they've got to come out after this international break, come out firing and come out, out of the traps really quickly. They couldn't have come out any more sluggishly if they tried. So a big, big week, similarly for Steve Bruce coming up for Chris Wilder. I mean, Birmingham at home on Wednesday night, Millwall away next Saturday. Millwall, not an easy place to go, as we've said a few minutes ago. Birmingham, in decent form at the minute. They'll fancy their chance of getting something at the Riverside. So, realistically, you know, if they fail to win at least one of these two games... I think if they lose does, those... Does, does that spell the end? Does Steve Gibson pull the trigger? And then you move on to the next question. Who replaced him? Because, like you said, do you get anybody better? But with the way the results are going at the minute, suppose you say, yeah. You have to, don't you? Because at the minute, they are not performing and he is not getting results from this group of players. He can go on about recruitment and lack of, you know, lack of backing in players he wanted all he likes. But at the end of the day, Chris Wilder has always, always had a reputation for bringing the best and developing out of what he's got. He's always done that. And we're just not seeing any evidence of that at Millsborough at all so far this season. It's been a really, really bad start. It's been, been pretty awful, to be honest. Some of that team news you were talking about, leaving Isaiah Jones on the bench, Ryan yep. Giles on the bench, bringing in Mark Bowler and Tommy Smith as wing-backs. Just screams to me a manager that's just not got confidence in his group right it, now. It's almost like the current he's just trying to, It's easy to see why. It's almost like he's trying to throw all his cards into the air and hoping something lands, isn't it? In the fact that I just need a result. I've got to or, try anything. And or another way of putting it is throwing a lot of shit at a wall and hoping something sticks, which is currently probably yeah. a better analogy for this Middlesbrough mm. team. It probably is at the minute because, you know, things are just not good. And we can talk about uh, there's a long way to go, things like that. But at some point, a line has got to be drawn and say, right, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to correct this problem. We can't continue as we are. So, again, him and Steve Bruce, I feel for me, it's quite possibly the biggest week of their managerial tenures by a long, long way. Huge I agree. couple of games coming up for them. Yeah, Massive. Could they both be gone by the time of record next weekend? Possibly. Could they have won both? Possibly. Big week. Absolutely. And then finally, Blackpool nil, Norwich City won. Not a lot in this game. Um, Blackpool played alright, in fairness. They weren't quite absolutely well. battered. But you cannot give chances to Timu Puki in the manner that Don Thompson did. Absolutely shocking pass. I don't really that know why a, he's trying to do that. That was, was just, a trademark pookie goal. What, latching onto an, a, a horror pass? No, just threw one onto the keeper, low buried finish, yeah, side foot. You we just, never thought he was going to miss it. Trademark pookie, isn't it? Yeah, Blackpool huffed and puffed, but lack of quality in the final third is damning. It's, it's showing in every game at the minute since Bowler left. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if they keep drawing blanks and playing all right, that's... The, that's the conclusion we're going to draw, isn't it, ultimately? Yeah, um, Norwich, not brilliant, but it's seven championship wins in a row for them, and they no. sit right. No? No, drew West Brom, didn't they? Last oh, game. that was in the middle, yeah. Sorry. Six yeah. wins. Uh, seven wins in eight. Yeah. Yeah. 
There we go. Got Correct. there in the end. Seven wins in eight for Norwich City. Um, and they um, continue to, to ride high at the top of the division. There were three draws in the championship. One of them cost me £100. Uh, that was Cardiff City and Burnley. Callum Robinson's late equaliser, cancelling out Nathan Teller's opener uh, to finish one apiece. Uh, He's off your Christmas card list then, I Yes, Callum Robinson is all is Vincent Company. I've not decided who I lay the blame with yet, but yeah. Go for both. It cost me 100 quid, so I wasn't pleased about that. Um, Sheffield United drew one all with Birmingham. Birmingham, the first side to get anything from Bramall Lane. Good performance by all accounts. Sheffield United are ravaged with injuries. They lost Anel Ahmed Odzic as well during the international break to go with everyone else that's not Chris Basham, John Egan and, and... George Baldock and Reese Norrington Davis. Everyone else is injured, genuinely. Jaden Bogle back on the bench is at least a positive, but he's been out for ages. Um, great strike from Ollie McBurney, which was then cancelled out by Troy Deeney a few moments later. And as water is wet, Preston North End drew 0-0 with Sunderland, their sixth blank of the season. They did, but I just want to say Freddie Woodman, Another clean sheet for him. That's one, you know. Nobody cares, George. Football is about goals and Preston can't score any. But he's keeping them out. Do you realise his clean sheet record now? It's very impressive. I'm sure it is. I don't think Preston fans care. 40 clean sheets in 99 appearances. That's not bad going, that. It is. It's very good. It would be even better if he played for the opposition that play Preston every week. Perhaps. You never know. They might score a goal one day. We live in hope. Yep. And that marks the end of this week's podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Going to do our shops and bankers, George, for next weekend's action. Of course, there is a full slate of Championship action in midweek. But as always on this pod, we're going to look to the weekend action to keep things fresh for those listening in the late in the latter part of the week. George, who are you going for? Well, for my shop this weekend, I've, I've got to go with Coventry to beat Burnley <laughs> at home. I really fancy Coventry, you know, good win against Middlesbrough at the weekend. Burnley, even though they've had a, you know, a really solid start under Vincent Company, they're just being a little bit inconsistent, sort of, you know, kind of stuttering a little bit, can't really get out of second gear sort of thing. The longest winning runs two. And I fancy Coventry in this one, just got a feeling. So I'm going to go for Coventry to beat Burnley's my shock. Banker this coming weekend, I'm going to go for Norwich to beat Preston. Norwich, obviously, doing really well at the minute. Preston, as we've just said, can't score. They just cannot put the ball in the net. But at the same time, they are yet to concede away from home so far this season. So, fancy Norwich to win that little run. So, Coventry is my shock. Norwich is my banker this week. Um, I've got the same shock for very similar reasons. Gone for Coventry to beat Burnley. I agree with you on that. Banker, I've gone for Sheffield United to win at Stoke. And that's more a stance on Stoke City being very bad than it is Sheffield United. Only because Sheffield United have got a lot of injuries and that does make me a little bit concerned about that game. Could it be a banana skin? Could it be a draw where they can't quite break Stoke down because of how badly they got battered at the weekend? Will Alex Neal sit everyone in and try and get a point? Could finish nil-nil? Or will Sheffield United's quality shine through? And I'm going to go for the Blades on this one and uh, go for them to win as my banker and Coventry to beat Burnley as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode in that app every single week. Leave a review as well if you enjoy the pod. Share with a friend. We're always looking to recruit new listeners and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. 
A huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll speak again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.